And Lord, we pray that you will encourage us, God, by the songs and the words that we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Give us just a moment. Are you here? Father, you are the all-consuming fire. You are in this place. God, we believe that your Son, Jesus Christ, came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. God, we believe that you're alive in heaven and that you see us and that you have a plan and purpose for our lives. And God, we just give you this time right now to just worship you, to sing songs to you. Father, pray that you open up our hearts, that you open up our ears, Father, you open up our minds to receive, God. Father, open up our hearts and our minds to just know who you are in this place, God. Let your presence fall on every person in this place. Come and sing a song. There must be more. There must be more than this. Oh, breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. See, there must be more. And there must be more than this. Oh, breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait. Fill us anew, we pray. And fill us anew, we pray. Consuming fire, fed into 
just because you can't see the Lord right now, it does not mean He is not in this place. Come on, the Lord is the Spirit. He is above and beyond anything we can ever think. We can't fit Him in our own mind. He created our mind. Come on, when I think about the Lord right now, I just get the sense of awe. and take on a human form to die for our sins to die for my mistakes my friends he died for our mistakes he died for our failures this is why we sing songs this is why we're passionate Jesus Savior, my Savior, you're my closest friend, my 
Shake a few more hands or talk a little bit longer. Just talk to each other. Ask her how she's doing. Come on. Awesome. Just a few more moments and then you guys can grab a seat. Tonight's the night that we really 
wanted to express uh, God and the power of miracles. So let's get into it. We'll do some announcements at the end. You guys have them on your cards right there. And we'll share the vision here in just a minute. But I want to get just right into the message because I feel like you guys are here. You came for a very specific reason. And I want to just let my heart come out right now because I'm so into this message. If this thing will stop acting crazy. Come on, Jesus, help me. Just stretch your hands towards it and say, we need a miracle. We need a miracle. We need a miracle. We need a miracle. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 11, if you've got them. That's always a good reason to bring your Bible, because you never know if the karaoke screen is going to work. There we go. Here it is. Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 1. Today's message is, is Jesus a miracle worker or just a good teacher? Now, this is why I was saying that we're going to put the gas on the fire tonight, because... All the way up until this point, as I started at Wicker Park here, we've been dealing with like the, the philosophical angles of like who Jesus is. But guess what we're going to do tonight? We're going to experience who Jesus is. Well, I want you to think about this. Just, just think about this. I got some things I want you to see that, that are going to be deep, some scriptures and all this. But just put this in your heart for a moment. Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago. According to our belief. And when he walked the earth, miracles happened everywhere. Think about that. Just get that in your heart right now. Miracles happened wherever Jesus was. The explanation of Jesus being a good teacher could never have resulted in the following that he had. And you might say, well, Buddha was a good teacher, Muhammad was a good teacher, and they had uh, you know, followings. But not Jesus. Buddha, he had a history in Hinduism. He went out under the, uh, the tree, experiences nirvana. He comes back to the, to the Hindu yogis, and he says, you no longer need a, a mediator, a yogi, to have enlightenment. Uh, you don't need to pray to deities. You can uh, you know, pray, uh, well, not really pray, but meditate within, and you can experience this uh, enlightenment. And by doing that, you know, people began to follow him. But in his culture that Buddha was in, Buddha was already in a culture of mysticism. Uh, Buddha was already in a culture where, where people followed yogis and uh, gurus. And so to have a following for Buddha would be quite normal. It would be just, just fitting in line with what was going on. Uh, look at Muhammad, for example. I wrote a book on it in, in seminary. You look at Muhammad, he comes around during the, the beginning of the Dark Ages and late 7th century, uh, coming around and what is he doing? He's uniting these Arab tribes that have been oppressed by basically Christendom at that time. Uh, Christendom was pretty much expanding. Uh, the Roman Empire was kind of changing into the Byzantine Empire and uh, uh, this, this kind of expansion was happening through religion. Uh, these, these Arab people were being left out to dry in a sense. And so uh, Muhammad, he comes and he has a unifying message, which is uh, Allah was the god of their main deity, the Kaaba, which is in Mecca, was already existing. And they had about uh, 500 pagan deities that were in the Kaaba at this time. And they were worshiping these pagan deities, bowing down to it and calling Allah the ultimate deity. So Allah comes, I mean, Muhammad comes around and he says, uh, you know, 
Uh, there's only one Allah. These other deities we don't need. But th but but not to disrupt your worship too much. Let's let's keep the Kaaba and let's keep the forms of worship that you're used to, Mecca, etc. And uh, let's unite and let's get rid of the infidels. And uh, and studying the Quran a whole lot. Let me just share this with you. It's it's not stereotyping those who follow the uh, stereotyping Muslims as as uh, potentially killing or doing those acts for their God. That's not stereotypical. Uh, stereotyping, that is what the book, the book teaches. I have the verses, and I'll show you in the Quran, uh, how to treat infidels. And their idea is, well, the infidels were, were oppressive. Whatever it is, their God is giving commands to not kill, to set free the people, and to establish this Arab world. But that's where Islam got started from. So, so without Muhammad by force, there wouldn't have been an Islamic, uh, you know, movement. There wouldn't have been this this pushing forward into the Christian lands. Uh, Turkey was Christian at one time. Iran was Turkey at one. Uh, uh, Turkey was Christian. Egypt was Christian. Uh, Syria. Th these places were Christian. And of course, where do they get stopped? At? They get stopped when they start going towards China, and they get stopped as they get closer towards Europe. And then a lot of the battles, you know, the Crusades happen in the Holy Land. You know, who's going to get Jerusalem? But, but just to share that with you, so I can have a little bit of trust here with you, just so you would know that I'm not just, just talking about Jesus flippantly the Bible. I want you to understand this. Jesus cannot fit into those categories. Number one, Jesus is coming to a Jewish people, a Jewish people that are monotheistic, that believe that no one has ever seen God and lived. The best that they ever had was a glimpse that uh, the best that they ever had as a Jew was Moses on the mountain saw God pass by when he got the Ten Commandments. Everybody tracking with me? But Jesus comes to Jews and he says, I am the Son of God. Think about this. Why do you think Jesus was crucified? Why was Jesus crucified? Do we even understand? Come on, guys. Come on. You've got to be my friends right now. Blasphemy. Come on. Blasphemy. You know, Jesus is being crucified by who? His own people. Hold on. Let's back up the story. Let's back up the story. Did the Hindu people persecute Buddha for his thing? Did the Arab people persecute? There was a little battle between them at once, but once he got the you know, the thing wrong, that was a persecution. No, it was just acceptance. It was just wide, you know, just open the doors, let's go. Jesus, to his own people, is crucified. And now, we get into these stories. Because Jesus is teaching that I am not just a good teacher. I'm not just like Elijah. I'm not just like David. I'm not just one of these good teachers. He's saying to them, I am the very Son of God. I have come from heaven. I am now on this earth to perform a task of salvation. And I'm going to go back to the earth. Are you all track with me right here? So when we're talking about today, Jesus, a miracle worker, or a good teacher, a good teacher, I want you to know, this gets me excited. I don't even care if there's three of us. I don't care if my wife and I were at the table. I'm excited. I'm going to be excited no matter what. Why? Because Jesus wants to do a miracle in my life. That's the way I look at it. Jesus wants to do a miracle in my life because the very thing we're about ready to read right now will probably blow your mind that John the Baptist even doubted Jesus. But these miracles were a proof to him. And when we get into some reasons of miracles and all this, I just want you to understand, Jesus 
is not just coming to people and having a parade and just pulling rabbits out the hat and putting children on a pony and saying, let's just all start a new religion. Jesus is being persecuted. They're trying to push him off cliffs in one place. They're trying to uh, uh, betray him in another place. And then finally they get him and crucify him. And this whole thing, this whole entire time, what is he doing? He's doing miracles. Now I just want you to just pause with me because I didn't get a chance to mention about Hinduism, the Bhagavad Gita with uh, you know Krishna and one of the stories with Arjuna and, and, uh, and this writing. And so the idea is whenever, whenever Krishna comes, He's the little blue baby, by the way, if you've ever studied Hinduism. Whenever he comes and he shows off his little arms and he does a little trick or something, everybody in the story is in awe. They're like, oh my goodness, this is, this is Krishna. I mean, he's here. Oh, we're going to worship him now. Look at the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible goes like this. Lazarus is dead. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The Jewish people see this. What do the Jewish people now want to do in the Bible? Kill Jesus and Lazarus. <laughs> That's the story. This is not like, oh, they just fall down and go, oh, you're the one we've been waiting for. We're so excited. We're so glad you're here, Jesus. Can you sign my, can you sign my little robe here? <laughs> They're like, I'm going to kill you. Because our story isn't based in this euphoria of myth and make-believe. It's based in this, this time when when, yeah, there was a lot of superstition. Yeah, there was a lot of different types of stories going around about miracles of Caesar and miracles of, of these guys. But Jesus' miracles, like I said, wasn't a rabbit out of a hat as a dog and a pony show. His miracles are all about saying, hey, I, I came from heaven. Listen to my message. This is going to change your life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. I think you guys are going to enjoy this. Matthew 11, verse 1. This is what the Bible talks about in Matthew. Watch this. John the Baptist was a Jewish prophet. He was uh, regarded even by the Jews to be very powerful in the Word of God. He says in the beginning of Matthew that the Messiah is going to come after him. That he was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now what, uh, what John the Baptist is, is, is doing is he's a typical Jewish prophet. And what they did is they read the Torah, and they told the people basically, how are you messing up the Torah? That's what the prophet did. Here's the Torah, here's the Ten Commandments, and let me tell you guys how you're doing all the wrong stuff. That's John the Baptist. And guess what? Herod, at that time, was a governor, half Jewish, builds up the Jewish temple, and everybody thinks he's awesome. So this is like politics and religion, this, um, you know, mishmashing here. But John the Baptist doesn't fall for it. John the Baptist sees Herod take his brother's wife, commit adultery, right? So what does is, what is, uh, John the Baptist do? John the Baptist goes to the palace, calls him out publicly, and gets put in jail. Okay, you all with me? Now look at this, Matthew 11, 1 through 6. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing. So now John is in prison. Not because of Jewish persecution, but because of what Herod has done. Herod, this governor, put him into prison. John hears about Christ, and so he sends his disciples to ask him. John the Baptist now is doubting who Jesus really is. Why? Because a few chapters earlier, John the Baptist is saying, when the Messiah comes, he's going to make everything right. And at this point, everything's not right. He's in jail. The Messiah was supposed to come as a conquering king, and make everything right. And so the Jewish prophet that was supposed to set it up, John the Baptist, for Jesus, 
is now doubting Jesus himself because he goes, if this really is the Son of God, I as a prophet wouldn't be in jail right now. This, this, I would be riding with Jesus into the Jerusalem. I would be a second in charge. Everybody tracking with me. I know maybe you were thinking about traffic before you came in here, maybe something from your job. But just think about the Bible for about 30 minutes tonight. Can we do this? Think about the Bible. John the Baptist at this time has got to be dealing with doubts and things that we could never understand. And the reason is, is because even he didn't understand who Jesus was. Jesus was coming to not just be a prophet, to not just be a good man, and not even to just do miracles but to eventually die for the sins of the world. And the greatest miracle of the race from the dead, the great salvation. But at this point, he doubts. He's, he's in jail. Would you be, I mean, think about this. Let's say we're all following me, and I go to jail. Now we might have a problem here, right? You okay? Now, if anybody's following the fundamental Mormons and your guy's in jail, stop following that guy, okay? But, but what I'm saying is, let's say I'm a good guy, okay? Let's say I'm teaching the right thing, okay? Jesus teaching the right thing, John's doing the right thing in jail. You've got to be wondering, what is going on? I mean, it's, you know, is God not paying attention? So look what he wants his disciples to ask him. He says, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So he's right here going, are you the one, or is there somebody else? Look at your neighbor and say, are you the one? Okay, I don't think y'all, but I just want to make sure. Okay, so Jesus, are you the one? Now look at verse 4. Jesus replied. Here's Jesus' opportunity to say to John whatever he has as proof to let him know he's the one. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. What you hear and what you see. See, Jesus is with his disciples. John's in jail. He asked his disciples, John asked his disciples to go and ask a question to Jesus, are you the one? And now Jesus says, tell them what you're hearing and seeing. The blind have sight. The lame are walking. Those who have leprosy are cured. The dead are hearing. The dead are raised. And the good news is being preached to the poor. Now listen to this, verse 6. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. He says to John the Baptist, John, I know you're scared. I know you don't get it. And you may want to fall away on account of me, but don't. Blind eyes are open. Deaf ears are being opened. The dead are being raised. People with leprosy are being healed. Don't fall away, John. And this is the way I see us today. If I could just use this a little bit as an allegory to us today. I think that so many of us are Christ followers in the sense of we believe in Christ in a Christian nation brought up going to Christmas and Easter services. We're priesters. Uh, for the most part, we still believe thou shalt not murder is a pretty good thing. I mean, we're not really picketing. Hey, I want to get that one repealed. And, and, and for the most part, we're pretty good. But then there comes this time in our life, some people, it's college, comparative religion class, maybe, you know, it's when somebody in your family dies, something bad happens, and all of a sudden you're kind of in this box of your own doubt and confusion, and you're wanting to ask the disciples of Jesus, who really is Jesus? And can I say to you today that there are still disciples that are reporting miracles from Jesus. 
I'm going to say this again because we lost some disciples there. I'm going to focus on here and we say this again. Many of you here are saying, yes, I'm a Christian, you know, senses, Christian, Satanist, eating bats, drinking children's blood, no, 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 you know, Jewish. Most of us check, check up when we take up Christian, right? Most, most of us do that. But we get into this place in our life where, you know, like in a prison, and uh, we don't really see Jesus. Jesus is not necessarily in the jail cell with us. We, we can't really peek out. We see a lot of doubts. We see a lot of things. And we kind of get nervous. And, and we, we're really wanting to know the truth because we don't want to play make-believe anymore. That was only fun in kindergarten. We took our moms, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the thing on tablecloth, ran around in our underwear and said we were Superman. You know what I'm saying? And I did that as well, you know, running around the backyard and the neighbors calling my parents saying, dear Lord, what's going on? He's in his underwear. He has something around his neck. Could you please get him? And then I'll use the bathroom in, in the garden. Just, you know, because I'm Superman and I can do this. And my parents would get these calls. And I, and I was crazy back then. If you're wondering, yes, I was. Um, and, and, and so, I don't want to play make-believe, but we're, we're in this box. But I want to ask somebody. And maybe you feel that way. You want to ask somebody who's who knows Jesus, maybe a little bit better than you, or maybe a pastor, and you want to ask them, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, I want to report to you just what Jesus said. I want to report it back to you. 21st century, the deaf are still hearing. Blinded eyes are still being opened. The dead are still being raised. Lepers are being cleansed. And the poor are hearing the good news. And listen to me, my little troubled sheep in a little cell right now. Don't get scared and fall away on account of Jesus not coming to your rescue and doing every little miracle you want right now because he's still doing miracles other places. You see, even though he wasn't doing the miracle in John the Baptist's life at that moment, splitting open the cells, striking Herod down dead, he was still doing miracles out here. And even though tomorrow I've got to go to a funeral for a dear lady, and even though I've done many in the past, my sister died drinking and driving, that was the first one I ever did, though that is still happening, sometimes it boxes us in. Let me tell you, Jesus is still doing miracles outside of that box. Amen. Your little old box of the experience is not all our God is doing on the planet Earth right now. He's still doing miracles. Amen. And if you can hear this message today, you may do a miracle in your life right now, today. But as always, I want to give you some books because I love books. I'm going to give you four levels of books to go and buy if you enjoy miracles. The first one's Beginner, Very Practical by Bill Johnson. When Heaven Invades Earth. Documented miracles from this pastor in California. They're seeing miracles in their church. They're seeing it in their everyday lives. Business people, homemakers, teachers are beginning to see God do miracles in their lives. The box is being opened. A uh, book now that we get a little bit more in depth, not so much a practical application of miracles, but the fact that miracles can happen. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about miracles, one of the best philosophers of our time in the 20th century, a great man converted from atheism as a, uh, uh, a teacher of mythology, you know, believe that or not, the teacher of mythology, great, uh, you know, outstanding scholar was an atheist at Oxford University, converts to Christianity through the help of J.R.R. Tolkien, who was another author at that time, they were part of a group called the Inklings, uh, and he writes about why miracles can make sense to the rational mind. Uh, here's another great book, In Defense of Miracles. Oh, man, this thing is tripping. 
Can I see the little one that you have right here? Okay, let me just uh, give this one more shot. Let's see if we can just get it to work. I think uh, what happens online is it gets stuck. And, I don't, and, and there's something that I can't get people to think this one does better. Uh, In Defense of Miracles is by Gary Habermas. Okay, and uh, Jesus, why? <laughs> I promise you this stuff works when I'm all by myself. I'm just chilling. I start to have this little pride, like, like I'm really technically advanced. Such an awesome pastor. And God just humbles me. And it just embarrasses me. Maybe I should have been embarrassed, but I'm embarrassed. Okay, here we go. In Defense of Miracles, Gary Habermas, he goes into great detail to explain why, and this is C.S. Lewis's uh, point, but he goes into great scholarly detail of how Jesus's miracles and the documentation of it in history is a totally different uh, way of looking at history than mythology. It was never meant to be taken as mythology, and there are things going on around Jesus that, that help us understand that these are probably very authentic. And then the, uh, the one for the expert, the person who really wants to go to another level in this, and on this, once again, when I give you expert level books, this is stuff like for those of us in seminary, we don't even read these things from start to finish, maybe only a few, but we just have them as references because it's kind of dry reading a lot of uh, detailed things. But uh, E.P. Sanders writes the book, The Historical Figure of Jesus. And really what he focuses in on here is he goes a little bit deeper than Gary Habermas, but he starts to talk about how miracles with Jesus defined who he was and how the secular world even recognized who he was. Therefore, he had to have these miracles because that was who he was. So it's, it's something that you would have to get into to see more. But basically, Jesus had to be a miracle worker to be known as a miracle worker according to his uh, his, his writings here. And I think you'll enjoy it pretty deep. Now, let me give you something to think about here as we get into this. And then I just want to hopefully see some miracles today. Definitions. What is a miracle? A miracle is an interference with nature by supernatural power. So what are we talking about when we say miracle? We're saying something is coming into the natural world by a supernatural power. So this is not within nature. I'm not talking about... Uh, things that science cannot, cannot explain. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton wrote, wrote more about the Bible than he did about science. We can learn a great lesson from him. He did not try to attribute everything he didn't know to God in the sense of the miraculous, like the God of the gaps. What he was trying to do was saying, everything is created by God and is beautiful to be discovered, but the things that are in the natural world can be seen by, nat uh, understood in natural sciences, okay? So we're not talking about like atoms are a miracle or uh, DNA is a miracle. We're talking about things that come, uh, something that comes from a other place, okay, out of the natural. Now, once we say this, you might find out that there's people that disagree with this. Those that disagree with this generally go under the, uh, the kind of the category of a naturalist. And a naturalist is those who believe nothing exists outside of the natural world man's five senses and science. And I just met one of uh, these people just a few moments before the service started. And uh, their idea is that uh, science is all we have, that the rational mind is all that we have to explain this world. Anything outside of that is myth. Uh, the same reason why he doesn't believe in Jesus' miracles is the same reason why he doesn't believe the tooth fairy gives him a shiny quarter when he puts a tooth under his pillow. Uh, the problem is 
is they're going to run into some dead ends. We're going to get into that in just a moment. But I just want to give you definitions. Miracle and inter, uh, interference with nature by supernatural power. Naturalists, those who believe nothing exists outside the natural world, man's five senses and science. And supernaturalists, which could be any religion, any belief, you know, lumping them all together. Supernaturalists, those who believe in forces and beings that dwell outside of nature, God, and spirituality. So find something in here that you might uh, uh, agree with. And uh, you'll see where you're at today. No matter where you're at, I think you can still see a miracle. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. Now, here's what I want you to see about naturalism. The thing about naturalism, and, and, and I know we can get into it a lot more, but the thing about naturalism that uh, I believe is the argument against it is the things that naturalism cannot explain. And the things that naturalism cannot explain are things that we know are true. So think about things that I'm about ready to put on this list that are true, and that naturalism, things outside of nature, cannot explain. Well, how about this, rational thought? Now, I would love to get to a discussion with, with somebody about this today. I see some friends here. Maybe we'll get into a discussion about this. But I would just love you to think about this for a minute. How do I prove rational thought without rational thought? Now, at this moment, somebody, you know, a little hint to the argument says, well, Joe, that's a presupposition. Well, the whole point is we all have presuppositions. But those of us who have the presupposition that rational thought is a good thing have to explain why that's a good thing. Just saying we have presuppositions doesn't make it go away. The bottom line is we all know rational thought is true. You're not a chicken. You're a human being, right? You're not going to float away on a cloud right now. You're going to walk out of here today, right? So rational thought is true, but naturalism cannot explain it. Can't explain where rationalism comes from. All it has is rationalism, but it doesn't explain the origin of rationalism. Meaning the Apple computer cannot explain the Apple computer from where it came from, its origin. It's the, uh, the, the fallacy of identity. Uh, I can't say that the Apple computer is the origin of the Apple computer. Because the Apple computer is in of itself its own thing. So that means another origin, another identity has to come uh, outside of the Apple computer and, and explain the Apple computer. And another way to look at this, let's say you were walking through the woods and you saw a little translucent ball, maybe the size of this, uh, this mint, and it was laying on the floor right here, okay? So you see a translucent ball, it's glowing. I was just watching Lord of the Rings too, like the little thing saw in my head, you can see the other thing. No, no, no. Okay, so it's going to go this trans little eye in there, so I'm not, okay? So it's right down there, it's right down there, and, and you see it, what do we want to do now? We want to pick it up, we want to touch it, we want to feel it, we want to smell it, we want to do all kinds of things with it, right? Okay, but anyways, we're going to look at it. The bottom line is we want to come up for an explanation for it, right? We want to come up for an explanation for the translucent ball. We might find it in our job on the woods, whatever. When you are coming up with an explanation of the translucent ball on the ground, do you say the translucent ball came from the translucent ball? No, you don't. You start to pick up the translucent ball, maybe look and see there's a little label on there came from China, was built in a factory, whatever. Are right? you guys tracking with me? Now, just take that same idea with rational thought. So when you see rational thought, where does rational thought come from? Well, rational thought comes from rational thought. That's my point. It's just as contradictory to say the translucent ball came from the translucent ball, to say rational thought came from rational thought. And I'll explain in just a moment how I think uh, the Bible explains this a lot better. Uh, so rational thought, we know it's true. Naturalism can't explain it. How about this, life from non-living things? 
Now, I believe we can keep tracking back this, uh, this big bang or the natural order. So, you know, even if you want to go with the evolutionary route or not, just, just follow with me, okay? So it's like, what did I come from? My species came from, you know, an ape-like ancestor. An ape-like ancestor came from, uh, you know, a less uh, evolved mammal, etc. And it goes back to some type of a lizard. Then it goes back to a single-cell organism. And then it goes back to the creation of this galaxy, this world, I mean, of this universe, etc., etc. Well, eventually... We're going to come to a place where non-living things don't exist. Non-living things don't exist. Is everybody tracking with me? Non-living things don't exist. Can naturalism explain living things? How they have an origin? No. Once again, well, this is the God of the gaps. No, we're both saying, we're both saying living things exist. The naturalist has to eventually say that a life, a living thing, came from a non-living thing. I just don't believe you can do that. The third thing, which some people may find subjective, but I believe are objective, meaning and value of life. I don't think naturalism can explain meaning and value of life. Let's, let's, let's play a little game, okay? So I go, to, uh, I go outside, I go to the grass, I take a little ant in my hand, and I bring it here, and here's the little ant. You know, it's just moving along here. And I squash the ant. Okay, I squash the ant, right? Does anybody here care about the ant? Does anybody here cry? Maybe you're going to cry. A couple of you are going to cry. God bless you. And the crying people from the ant. Uh, could you develop a society where I would go to jail for doing that? Probably not. Probably us ant killers would outnumber you and think you're weird for caring about an ant, right? Okay. Now, once again, we do that with a human, we have a problem right? Well, somebody says, well, this is, uh, this is uh, you know, uh, this is Darwinian morality. This is uh, things that have happened over time. It's, a, it's the herd mentality. Well, you have a problem here with, with just saying it's the herd mentality because there are some things that even if the herd does, we all still feel is wrong, right? So let's say Hitler, he does everything with the herd to kill Jews. Now this, uh, this for us, in a, in a biological sense, we should be kind of happy about this, right? Well, because, I mean, now there's less competition going to the watering hole. There's less competition for the resources of the earth. Uh, you know, this guy means nothing to us. He can go ahead and kill these Jews. So, so from the evolutionary standpoint, there's, there's no purpose uh, for us trying to stop him because... Uh, he, you know, uh, another uh, group of monkeys kill each other over there. This group of monkeys doesn't care. But hold on, is that how we felt? When you see Outswitch, when you see, uh, you know, Schindler's List, do you just feel to yourself, I mean, these, these are just uh, meaningless lies. And most people who believe in abortion do so ignorantly. If I started putting up abortion pictures here, what the children look like inside the womb, most people have a striking in their conscience going, I can't even do that, even though the herd is going that way. So why is it we go against the herd if it's just a herd mentality? Because there's a meaning and a value of life that is inherent in all of us, and even if the whole herd is going this way, we still pull back and go, oh man, there's something wrong with that. And then how about this, reason for existence itself. Now I'm not talking about meaning again here. I'm not talking about, you know, naturalism can't explain meaning and existence as being the same thing. No. What I mean here that it can't explain existence is why is there something instead of nothing? Think about this. This may seem like, like I'm playing a trick with your mind, but think about this. Why is there something instead of nothing? Nothing could be just as good of an option of something in a mindless, chanceless universe. 
Doesn't have to be something new. Doesn't have to be anything. This will continue to happen. Just, uh, just keep making jokes about it. So we'll just keep making jokes about it. Well, let's just shut it down. Amen. It's a yeah. distraction to me. Um, I have it all right here. We basically are in a universe that is of something. Something. Well, why is it nothing here? Now somebody might say, well, this is just the way it has to be. Well, isn't that just the same way of uh, somebody saying, well, God made it? The person who says this is just the way it has to be, isn't that a statement of faith? Isn't that a statement based on presuppositions? This is just the way it has to be. There, there has to be something here because uh, this has to be. Well, isn't, isn't that just a statement like God created it? Well, now in naturalism, where you can't use anything but God, how does the statement, it just has to be here, make any rational sense? It doesn't just have to be here. A chicken doesn't just have to be here. Is everybody with me? Well, a chicken just has to be No, it doesn't. A chicken doesn't have to be here. The only reason why existence makes sense when you think about it rationally is because of purpose. Now, let me explain this to you in a way that I think will bless you. When we think about infinity... For something to be here and it not have a cause of God, that means God started it, that means it's always been here because it has to be here. That means this universe itself, everything that is here in the sense of what makes energy and all of this, is infinite. Now I want you to think about infinite, and if infinite is a rational thing to believe in, okay? Let's pretend you want to have the infinite space of the universe and you want to hold it together. Let's say somehow we can just imagine this. You're going to hold all the infinite space together. And as you're getting it together, it's coming in the form of marbles. Let's just think of atoms and all this stuff as marbles. And you're going for the infinite universe. Now you're one marble away from having the infinite universe in your little jar. You're going to gather it all together and put it in your jar. You're one marble away. What number are you on? What number are you on? So you just say the most craziest number you can think of. I'm on one zillion and trillion and sentence, whatever. So we're one marble away. But hold on. What if I now add a marble to that? What number do you have now? You see, the numbers can keep going without end. Infinite is a way that we understand that things go without end, but not in the natural world a thing that we can actually hold and be tangible. So a natural world cannot be infinite. Only a philosophical understanding can be infinite, but not an actual infinite number of things. Now let's say you've gotten all together those marbles, you have the infinite amount of, of, of universe inside that jar, you have it right here, and now somebody takes one of those marbles away. How many do you have now? What's one minus infinity? See, it's impossible. You can't have an infinite amount of things. And so the reason for existence itself cannot be, it just has to be. No, the reason for existence itself has to be rational. And just being there isn't rational. And infinity is not rational. And I have these points up here. And I want you to listen to the things that supernaturalism can explain. Rational thought. How does, how does, how does uh, supernaturalism explain our rational thought? How about this? God is a rational mind. And I'm going to try to get this up because I really do want you to see it, so I'm just going to talk as it resets itself. God is a rational mind. So if I'm made in the image of God, and God is outside of nature, just like Steve Jobs is outside of this computer, this explains the origin of things now inside of me. Think about this. 
Some people get a little upset and they go, oh, now I can just say the flying spaghetti monster did this. No, this is where we get into what's called the ontological argument because the ontological argument developed by Anselm basically says that any greater thing than God can, uh, has to be God. There cannot be anything greater than God. So if you want to, for the sake of this argument, call the flying spaghetti monster God, whatever is the greatest possible being we can imagine, that is God. Is everybody with me? So if you say, my God is bigger than your God, okay, well then your God is the God I'm talking about today. Does everybody understand? And then you might say, well, my God's bigger than both of y'all's God. That's the God I'm talking I'm talking about the greatest conceivable being that we all can think about. Now, this Apple computer has a creator that could fix this backwards problem that I'm having right now. And the Apple computer, the guide to the Apple computer is going to do what? They are going to use the principles that they have to fix the computer. What is the principles of our life? Rational thought. When you're wrong, you want to be fixed and be told truth. Don't you feel good when you do something right after you've done it wrong? Why is that principle so true in our life? Isn't there a right way to raise a child in the wrong way? Don't we all kind of feel that rationally? Don't we think that common sense is not so common anymore? Don't we all kind of feel that things are just not the way they should be, right? If somebody steps on your toe and they're getting on the bus, don't you kind of feel a sense of, well, they should apologize? Or if somebody, you know, you have a child, I have two children, somebody takes your child's lunch money, don't you feel a sense of that should be right? Well, that rationality, that conscious mind that you're having would only make sense if something outside of the rational world gave you that as an instruction device. The next thing, life from non-living things, I know this sounds too simple, but let's go for it, creation. And then now what do we think of? What's the, the very smart person in here going to say now? But who created God, right? Because God must be the creator. But this is not true because I'm not saying that everything needs a creator. What I'm saying is every created thing needs a creator. And remember, we can't believe in an infinite universe. We can't believe in an infinite amount of things. And just pushing it back to the multi-universe, that one universe starts in another universe, doesn't explain it. We have to explain created things. And this world is a creation. No matter how much we don't like to admit it sometimes, this is a creation. And it can only properly be explained by a creator. Why doesn't God need a creator? Because he's the greatest possible being. I'll get to questions at the end. Thank you. The meaning and value of life. Well, how does the meaning and value of life uh, make sense to us today? Because God is good. And all possibilities that you and I could choose a life for ourselves, would it ultimately be good or would it ultimately be evil? Well, Somebody wants to now say, well, how are you going to define good? How are you going to define evil? Okay, let's make it real simple. Pain, pleasure, right? How are we going to eventually, you know, pick the life that we're going to have? If there was a seat here with spikes on it, and it was on fire, and then there's a lazy boy, which seat are you going to pick, right? You're going to pick the lazy boy, right? Let's say there's some food over here, and there's gasoline on it, and there's anthrax been put on it, and then here's your mom's favorite dish. Which one are you going to take? Well, how do we look at those things when it comes to outswitch? Somebody's hurting someone else. That's not right. Why do I feel not right about that? That's not me. That's not my tribe. That's not my family. But I still don't feel right about that. 
Can I look within myself and discover why? The herd mentality doesn't help me understand why. Because there's another herd that thinks it's okay. Oh, but when I look outside of myself, I see a God who is good. A God that teaches me what is good and evil. And now this in my conscience guides me even when the herd does wrong. That makes to me better sense than naturalism. The next thing, the reason for existence itself. How about this? God created it for his purpose. Why is there something instead of nothing? It's because God wanted something here. Why is your car in your garage instead of not a car in your garage? Because you wanted it there. Why is a, why are you wearing a shirt right now and some underpants and some dainties, lady? Because you didn't want to come in your buck naked. We understand purpose. Now, I, I, I know some brothers struggle. They may want to see some people in your naked, but aren't you glad that I didn't come in your naked? Amen. Aren't you glad I didn't come in your naked like some old Greek philosopher stripping my clothes? And you say, there's no reason for me to come in here with clothes. What difference does it make? It's all relative. No clothes, clothes, you know. It's my prerogative. Who are you to judge me? You know, God wanted me to have clothes. They would put them on me when I was born. Come on. But we, we define purpose. We define purpose. Remember, rational thought, the very thing that those who don't believe in a God will use rationality to try to now say God is irrational because God's purposes aren't good because there's suffering in the world, right? So now we're talking about this good God and he created this world for a purpose. Uh, now the atheist comes back and says, oh, but hold the horses, hold the horses. You mean this is the best possible world God could create? A world where children die, a world where my parents molest me, a, a world where criminals can get away with crime their whole life. Well, let me ask you a question once again. Where do you get the right to even make that statement? Because if it's just from yourself, then they're just doing what's right from themselves. So how can you correct a crooked ruler if you don't have a straight ruler to begin with? The very argument that rationalists and naturalists make against God and say that God is a moral monster is actually the first proof that they are made in the image of God because they have a divine sense of justice on the inside of them that wants to set right from wrong. Because if we were all just creatures of instinct, then why would we care anyway? But let's just think about God's purpose for a moment. By the way, we are going to pray for miracles. I still have about 15 minutes left to track with me right here. I split my message in half for those that are thinkers and want to think through this, and other ones who just want to experience. I'm giving you some information, but others just want revelation and illumination. Amen? Amen. Track with me. The existence of evil and things in this world that, you know, seem to be such a terrible thing. And in actuality, they are. It almost seems now like God's playing a game, right? So it's like I get my dog, and I chop off his leg, I torture him, and I say, now go get yourself something to drink, and he's hobbling along with one leg, and then I go, just tell me you believe in me, rough, 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 tell me you believe me, rough, 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 look what daddy got, he got a new leg for you, he's going to put a new leg on you, now get down and lick my boots, right? Get down and lick my little boots, now he's hobbling along, but I'm a good master. My master cut off my leg. <laughs> he gave me a fake leg. I'm a great That's a miracle. And that's the way people think about God, right? I mean, God, look, he's, so, he's such a miraculous God. He brings us into this world. He allows us to be tortured and killed and murdered and diseased 
if he was really God and this was his purpose, none of these things would, would be here. And then now you talk about miracles, but most of them can be proven by medical science, you know, just go to a doctor. And then now we all say, bravo to God, and he was the one cutting off our legs. And now we have some plastic amputation, these glasses, or et cetera, right? Well, let's think about the story of the Bible. Does the, does the story of the Bible tell us that God is going to instantaneously do miracles and miraculous things all throughout creation all the time? Now, that's not how God said the purpose is going to be. As a matter of fact, when you study the purpose of God, it was actually supposed to be a very naturalistic world. The, the, the story goes very simple. Adam and Eve, they're in a garden. They're to till the land, water to, up, uh, to help grow the garden. They're to eat from the land. They're going to be vegetarians. They're going to be fruitful and multiply. How many are happy you can be fruitful and multiply in the kingdom of God? Amen. 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 Come on. And uh, I thank God for that. <laughs> And God, you know, God's okay with it. He peeks in the garden. He says, I made y'all to do that. That's why you have that right there. Amen? Amen. You're all looking at me crazy. Come on, preach it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so we look at the, the beginning of the story. It's natural. Wow, I'm living in the garden. I'm making love with my wife. We're naked. We don't even care. Praise God. I'm in shape, right? I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> How many don't call that heaven right now? Amen? I call it, brother, but I just want you to, could you just pull up a chair and just sit here? Amen? <laughs> and just sit here for me, my brother. Whenever you see it do that, just, just stop this thing. In the name of Jesus, stop it. All you got to do is just keep going here, and this is going to be um, the stuff I belong about tonight. So just let it rest for a minute, and I'll get back to you because I'm in a of this. I think we can fix it. Thank you, my brother. No, 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 just leave it right there. And I'll get back to it, but just give me a second. He's just going to be up there making it even more awkward. There's, there is, you know what there is on this thing right now? There is the I'm going to make Joe look like an idiot button that has been pushed. And I'm not going to um, let it distract me, but I do need to be up to watch and see it. So just let it show for a minute here. The idea that the suffering world can can somehow disprove God that doesn't want. Garden of Eden, we're there. Watch, watch what God does in the Garden of Eden. Perfect garden, perfect people, perfect relationship with God. Follow the story. Even if you don't believe the story, like I'm not going to arrange my wife because watching the trilogy again. Okay, I, I get the story, right? Inside the framework, there is a story. There's there's things going on. Just follow the story, even if you don't believe it necessarily. Just follow the story for what it is, and you can decide afterwards. But let it speak for itself. So perfect world, perfect God, perfect people, perfect environment. What could possibly go wrong? Well, it's this thing he gave us. It's this gift called free will. See, right there we understand. This is not the story that the perfectionist wants it to be. Because if this was our seed, see, if you would say to me, you would say, Joe, how could God do this? God is such a monster. God tortures us. God allows evil in this world. You would have to show me that God purposely made us evil and said, now evil is what you will be, and then I'll fix evil just so you love me. But it's your, it's my fault that you became evil. Is everybody tracking with me? Yeah. But that is not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible isn't he just made us evil and then he just makes us good. No, it's he gives us this thing called choice. Now, everybody here who says that itself is now another contradiction because he could have made all of this and not given us choice. 
God gave you the choice right now to understand this, and I hope you choose to understand this. What are three things you value more than anything else in this entire world? Three things that you value. You value your personal identity. Think about that right now, what you value. You value your personal identity. You are so happy you are not me right now, aren't you? You're so happy you're not your neighbor. You're so happy you're not that guy on the train. Aren't you so happy you're not that guy? Amen. You're not so, you're not this great. You, what do we value? We value our identity. Without free will, you wouldn't have had an identity. The thing you value the most. What's the next thing that you value intrinsically? Freedom. We tie you up and put you in a little box right now. You are not going to like it. Are you guys tracking with me? Yep. We all value our freedom. There is something inside of us, especially as Americans, we value freedom. We want to be free. We, I want to be able to go to the beach if I want to, you know, today and enjoy it in Florida before it gets too cold. Or go up, you know, to California and go snowboarding. We love freedom. And what's the third thing intrinsically we all love? Relationships. Can you have any of those without free will? Can you have identity without free will? Can you? You can. You could not be any different than anybody else if you were not free to make your choices. Because if you and I are not free to make our choices, we're just being programmed to be whoever somebody who's programmed us wants us to be. And, and we have no identity. The second thing is, do you have any relationship? Do you get to have No, it's, it's not your choice. You, how many know you don't get to choose who you want to marry in an Islamic country or a country that oppresses them? You don't have a choice. And we would all be upset with that. And we love our freedom. What explains all of that? God explains that. I'm just going to shut off every single piece of equipment I have up here. It's all, I got too much Mac stuff up here. What I pray this works. Just for me. For this skipper. For the skipper right here. Therefore, supernaturalism is true. Thank you, Dan. Let's give it up for Dan. You may know that too, sir. Maybe there's some type of a miscommunication between all this stuff. Here's the way I want you to look at it logically, and then we're going to get to Jesus and we're going to pray now. Rational thought, life, morals, and existence itself uh, is true. We're supposed to say it's true right there. Rational thought, life, morals, oh, here we go. Existence exists. Okay? We know that those things exist. Do we not know that rational thought exists? Yeah. Okay? Do we know that, that life exists? Does anybody believe that? Yeah. Does anybody believe morals exist? Yep. Okay. Does anybody believe we exist? Yes. Okay, so that, that's that. Naturalism cannot explain them, however supernaturalism can. Loaded sentence. I did my best to try to explain that. From this point forward, we can talk after if those have questions. But I, but I did my best to try to explain that in this time that I had. Therefore, naturalism is false and supernaturalism is true. Since supernaturalism is true, God is true. And let me just explain this last statement, and then we're going to hang out with Jesus tonight, okay? Yeah, we're going to hang out with Jesus. I love Jesus, man. We're going to hang out with him tonight. Let me just share why this is true, why God would be true to supernaturalism. Because then the same things that we've been putting everything else in, the supernatural world would go into that same order. There would have to be an explanation of an explanation of an explanation to a final, non-explained thing, the greatest of all things. So meaning, if there's an angel 
There has to be a creator of that angel. That angel itself is not God. If there's a couple of angels, does everybody get what I'm saying? Just like in the world, there's a natural ex explanation for natural things. There would be a supernatural explanation for supernatural things. Otherwise, why are we even talking about it? It, it would make no sense to even uh, to understand this world if there wasn't a rational mind. So once again, the rational mind, I have to believe God has given us to understand both worlds. Now, before I close out in this section, oh, see, it's, it's connected to this. That's what it is. So I'm going to read this quote, and then I'm going to shut this off, and we're just going to go off this. Nobel Peace Prize winning neuroscientist. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. He's a scientist in neurology. He wrote a book. It's entitled The Creation of Self, The Evolution of the Brain. Most people believe that your brain as an organ having all of its synapses and all the things going on is what makes you who you are. And the, the proof of this would be shoot your brain out, make you brain dead. You're not going to be wanting chicken and some mashed potatoes tonight for dinner. You're not even going to know your name. Right? You guys understand what I'm saying? You know, you won't be able to want to go to Disney World with your children. Right? You're not thinking anything about this. But he, he studied this. Is it the brain that creates the self, or is it the self that utilizes the brain as a tool? Therefore, you know, if the brain is not functioning, the self doesn't have a tool to use. And the idea would be here that your body is like the car frame, the engine is like your mind, and you are the driver. So your self is the driver, and it's using the brain to communicate to the body to do things in life. But yourself is not the origin of the brain. The self has not found its origin in the brain. The brain is the tool of the self. Is everybody tracking with me? Noble Peace Prize, Prize winning author. His name is Sir Carl Eccles. You can learn more about him if you want to get this book. But this is what he writes. He says, I maintain that the human mystery is incredibly demeaned by scientific reductionism. So he's saying the mystery of human life is demeaned by people who just want to say everything is reduced down to science and naturalism. With its claim in promissory materialism to account eventually for all of the spiritual world in terms of patterns and neurological uh, activity. So he's saying they make the presupposition that everything we think we you know, can't explain with the soul, love, uh, you know, morals, everything I put up here. These, these naturalistic people want to demean it, put it down, and just say it's just all neurological activity. That's all it is. It's just an illusion. Morals, it's an illusion. The love that you have for your children, it's just an illusion. It's just all up here. We shut this off here. You don't even care about your children. Amnesia, you don't even know who they are. Okay? This is what he's saying. He says, this belief must be classed as superstition. So now here's the scientist fighting back. And he's saying, this idea that this is all an illusion from my, from my brain creating these things, he says, that is the superstition. He says, we have to recognize that we are spiritual beings with souls existing in a spiritual world as well as material beings with bodies and brains existing in a material world. So we are spiritual beings in a material world and we are material beings in a material world according to this neurological study that he did. Now, of course, people can say, can he prove it? No, he can't prove it any more than the naturalists can prove 
that rational thinking is rational without using rational thinking. The presuppositions lead us somewhere, my friends. The presuppositions will either lead us to an illusion of what we consider freedom, self, and identity, or our presuppositions will lead us to something outside of ourselves, which I believe is God. Now, I'm very excited about this next part right here, because this is where we make it applicable. You see, Jesus was walking the earth. This real person was walking the earth. His life is documented. And as he was walking the earth, what they knew about him was that he was doing miracles. And as John the Baptist began to doubt, Jesus says back to him, not some philosophical thing, not some report that would help convince him by an argument. He says, John, supernatural things are happening in my name. I, not God through me, but me, myself, here on this earth and healing. See, Jesus didn't heal in God's name, which had been done before. Jesus healed in his own name. Jesus didn't do great miracles in another's name. He did it in his own name. And he says, John, here's the proof. The miracles are the proof in the pudding. And then as you, you see that today, right now, there are stories in this room of people who have had miracles that can maybe help you get out of the fog of confusion or the prison that you think you're in and the God that you put in that same box of reductionism. We want to help shine some light into your prison cell. Let me tell you a few stories. This is where it gets exciting. So I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to pray, read my Bible. That's what I love to do, right? But I also love to play Bible. So I'm at the beach, I'm at the lakefront, I'm playing volleyball like a beast, just putting it down. And <laughs> it's my story, so I get to tell it as I want, you know what I'm saying? My shirt's off, six bags listening. <laughs> you know, Danny's running over, Danny, can you wave your hand real quick? Come on. Danny's running over with the oil. Pastor, can I oil you down? <laughs> I'm letting him oil me down. It's, a, it's just, it, his fantasies are coming true. That was a miracle. Love you, Pastor. Love you so much. Love your belt. Love everything. You're trapped. You're a beautiful pastor. Let me just oil you up. So he's oiling me up, and I'm, I'm putting it down. And 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 the bow dude, this guy, his wrist had just been fractured the week before. He had been telling us, like, I shouldn't be out here. It's just, it's just feeling better. The doctor said it was fractured. And I spike the ball, and the ball shatters on his wrist. And instantly. I mean, the ball hits and it just shatters his wrist. He instantly just starts to scream and holler. His wrist starts to swell. He is in intense pain. And I caused it, okay? And I, I'm feeling really bad right now. And like, I'm walking over by him like, hey, dude, it's not that bad, is it? He's like, oh, my God, my wrist! Dude, no, you're gonna be okay, man. Just uh, you know, just drink a little water, take a seat, just take a seat, man. You're gonna be okay. He's like, oh, my wrist, my wrist. I'm so serious. People were there at our other campus. I can name you the names, just witnesses. They are there, they are around. He is screaming, he is hollering. We can watch it swell. We're watching it swell. We're watching the redness come up. The man's face is excruciating, and then I just hear. What I think at this moment is the dumbest possible thing that I could ever do. I hear a voice, pray for him. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to pray for him. I'm the one that just hurt him. Like, dude, I'm like mocking him. Like, dude, how do you like that? Can I pray for you now? 
that's how I do it. I, I make things happen around me and make miracles, you know? So I'm, I'm just like, God, I'm like, God, if that's you, just, just please don't say that again. Can we forget about that? I'm like, God, you're trying to talk to me. We'll talk later. And like, I hear it again. Pray for him, you know? And I'm like, dear Lord, I'm not going to pray. And it's just like this argument between me and God. That's how real it is. Just keep it real. He's not my make-believe friend, okay? He's not like the, the abominable snowman that I just made up in my backyard because I'm bored on one Saturday afternoon, okay? I'm serious. Like, so it's like, God, I'm not doing it. And then God's like, do it. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, hey, bro, can I, uh, can I pray for you? And, and he's like, yeah, go ahead. Anything would help right now. He was not going to church. He had moved out from Florida to be with his family in Chicago. The story gets even better. I don't have time to get into it. But the bottom line is he was pretty mad at God for some things going on in his family. Okay, that's what we ended up finding out. And uh, he's just like, whatever, dude, it hurts. And, and normally we lay our hands on people, you know, as a sign of contact. And uh, I just, you know, I didn't even want to touch him. It's, it's so swollen. He's just, he's, it's throbbing. You, everybody can see it. And I just stretch out my hand on the volleyball court. People watching me. And I just go, Jesus, you told me to pray for him. And God, I know you can if you want to. So God, I'm just asking you, you told me to do this. God, would you heal him right now? Would you make this better? Instantly. He begins to say, dude, I can feel fire going through my, 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 my bones right now. He says, I am feeling heat come through my arms instantly. He says, I am feeling heat. He starts to lift up his hand like this. And he says, guys, can you see the swell, swelling going down? The pain is going. This kid was not religious, had nothing to do with God. He wasn't making fun of me. You can literally see the swelling going down. And he said, look, I can move my wrist. I couldn't even do this before I got here. He said, dude, I am healed. He played the rest of the day. He goes to church with his cousin, gives his heart to Jesus. Two months later, I see his cousin. He said, dude, that was the miracle he needed to see. He's still serving God. He talks about it all the time, that God did a miracle for him. Right there on the volleyball court, I saw a miracle in the name of Jesus. And I'm not the only one. I'm going to just ask some of my friends here to tell you some of the miracles that they've seen. So, Vanessa, would you come and just share one of the miracles that you've seen? And Chris, would you come down and get ready? Because I want you to share as well. And then we'll close and pray for miracles. You don't get back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, the one story that I'm going to tell you about, even though I've, I've had more than 10 instances of different types of miracles that I've seen happen from healings and people being set free from demons uh, and everything. Just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the story that happened about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. There was two women that came to our church. They were new. They were related to family members that, that attend our church regularly. And these young women were, were atheists. We didn't know much about them, but the point is, is they came, they weren't open at all. We were in a circle, we were praying, they were talking about how they had to leave. And one young lady comes up to me, that was, that's the leader of our church, and she said, Vanessa, I think we should pray for her before she leaves. And I was, I, in my heart, when I was leading this prayer group, I kind of, I didn't see what she was talking about. I was like, okay, we'll do that, okay, whatever. You know, we're gonna pray for her, that's cool. 
I wanted to pray for her, but we were praying already, so I just didn't understand what she was saying. So then after we concluded our group prayer, we we grabbed the young lady and we say, hey, you know, can we pray for you? And she she was like, oh, I, I have to go. Uh, I, I have to go. And I was like, why do you, what do you mean you have to go? Like, there's nothing, where are you going? And she's like, I just, I just have to go. We pulled her, we, well, not pulled her, but we asked her to come with us, and she was very resistant, like, strange. It was like not normal behavior. She was acting a little weird. But before, she was a normal person, talking coherently, saying how she, she didn't believe in God, saying how she just had a problem with God and with religion and Christianity. And then when we brought her towards a projector screen, because we were just walking, I pulled her over, and we just started praying for her. And we just said, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. All of a sudden, her eyes, her eyelids just start like fluttering like crazy. She starts like, like twitching, and, you know, she's like acting weird. And we we're saying, in the name of Jesus, we lift up this girl to you right now in Jesus' name. And she just starts going, like screaming from the inside. And then at that moment, we knew she had demons inside of her. She starts screaming in a voice that wasn't her own. It sounded like there was, it sounded like a man's voice. And she was a woman, and she did not sound like a man before that. And she starts screaming and screaming. And then she starts saying this, her eyes rolling and everything. She's fighting our hands as we're praying for her. She's like, this one is mine. You cannot kick me out. And, and everyone was watching. Josh was there. Who else was there? I don't know who was there. Chris was there. There was like, it was right after service, so there was like 35 people, maybe 40, 45 people that were there watching this, and they were just like, whoa, you know, like, it was after everything was done, so everybody just starts praying, because they didn't know what else to do, and so we just say, devil, we command you to leave in the name of Jesus, right now, we plead the blood of Jesus over this woman, you cannot have her, and, you know, you can tell, like, the devil didn't like that, they didn't like Jesus' name, they didn't like all that, the, the demon said of her was like, no, no. And then the, the demon inside of her tries to say, no, I do not believe. You will leave. You're pathetic. This and that crazy stuff. But I started laughing because I know that in Jesus' name, that demons flee. I know that the demons cannot handle the power of Jesus. I know that his name is all powerful. So I started laughing, and then I said, no, devil, you're pathetic. You've lost. You're defeated. And so as we're praying for her, she starts being set free. You can see it. She's you know, just releasing, even though before she was crying, snotting, like drooling, everything, like even though before that she was just like all messed up, sweating and stuff, she starts to calm down, she starts to loosen up. And then and then we were talking to her and she started crying. I was like, I was like, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And she starts crying and she's like, Jesus, my Lord, my God, Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus. And we were just like, that rocked us, you know, like, we're just like, my gosh. And, and this is a woman that hated, she was like, I hate church, I hate God, I hate, and I said, what happened? I don't know what happened. She's like, what, what just happened? We had to pull her into a counseling room and discuss with her what had just taken place, how she had just gotten set free. She was explaining how, you know, how she, you know, because of, because of things she did in the past, witchcraft and stuff like that, she had you know, giving her life over to demonic things that, that she thinks that's why she, she had those things inside of her. And and then not only that, but as we're counseling her, her friends starts manifesting too. And and demons start manifesting on this girl. She's screaming and everything. And they pray we pray for her, she gets set free too. 
the first girl came back and she was looking for guys after that. So the other girl, she, you know, we don't know what happened, but but it's okay. We tried reaching out to her. You know, so, so the important thing is that Elizabeth came back and she got saved and she accepted Jesus and got right to the So so there you have an exorcism. So she could be lying, right? The girl could have been mentally insane and went into her right mind, or that could have happened. I could be lying, or it could have happened. And I want Chris, share one of the miracles you saw, Chris. Okay. Uh, I'll uh, kind of pause for some of this. Your uh, experience has some of the greatest things about your uh, experience in life. Uh, the preacher I had visited uh, uh, church I used to go to previously, and uh, he, he just came, he was a miracle preacher, and you know, he would work nervous, and he saw him, uh, he would tell stories about the service of he would even pray for God and stuff. It was, it was interesting. You know, if you want to talk about it, I'll, I'll tell you. But, um, so at, at some point during the service, you know, um, he's having people come up for prayer, for healing, and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm just I'm standing there. I'm not waiting to go up and have anything that I need prayer for, but I'll just, I'll just observe it. And that's what I've done in my heart, just observe it. And um, so at some point, this. Uh, uh, a couple brings up their nine, eight or nine year old daughter comes up. They don't know what they're talking about to hear. They tell the preacher, okay, she, she has this or not. So he tells her to sit down. I see her sit down right by the altar, right by the step, put her bottom back up against it. She, so she's, she's pretty much sitting like this, okay? Now, what I found out later on was that, you know, she had, she was, she was walking with the lips. Or so she started walking, and she always walked with lip. And what I came to find out was that you know one one of her legs was shorter than the other. That's why that's what made the lip. And so he told her to sit down. She sat down, and you know he started pulling her. You know, he, like he was like, he was like, in the name of Jesus, now suddenly see the In the name of Jesus. Now this guy, I mean. I mean, he, it wasn't, it was not an illusion. It was not an illusion. Because that was, I was, he was right here, she was right there, I was on the side of the I did not see her back come up. What can I explain that? Just one more uh, from the island at Mardi Gras, of all places. Uh, we go to Mardi Gras to share our faith. We've been out, I've been out there 12 times, some of the students go out there. She wants to share a story that she saw, and uh, many people testified to this. Yeah, so we're at Mardi Gras, for those of you that don't know, it's in New Orleans, and basically if people start getting drunk, they start um, basically sinning as much as possible. So us, our school, we go there and we preach to the crowd, we tell them that Jesus loves them, and during this, you know, um, just a young lady, part of our school, she saw a young boy, a boy actually, at Mardi Gras, crazy, with his parents, his parents brought him there, and he has a cast on. Now, I witnessed this through a video, but in the video, um, he comes up, the parents are kind of like having a disagreement, you know, um, the boy, he just really, they're just really preaching to him and telling him, you know, about Jesus, and then the, the girl says, can I pray for your son's arm? Is that okay if I pray for his wrist? And of course, I mean, they're not believers. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know um, what God stands for. But they say, sure, of course, go ahead. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe not. And so they go, he goes ahead. He receives prayer. And as he's praying, he starts moving his wrist. 
and do all these things. Like, of course, God is all powerful. God is all loving. God is all knowing. God is everywhere at the same time. And with all those things of God, He still cares about us today. He hasn't changed. You know, He hasn't started miracles to do them and then all of a sudden stop. You know, these people doubted. They were doubted. They were skeptical. But did that determine the fact that God had compassion on them? No. He healed their son right in front of them. And I think that's a testimony to how much that he cares. And so I just want to encourage you guys, if God cares enough to, to heal people, to raise people from the dead, how much more does he care about your situation and your job, with your family, with your doubts? You know, and I just my encouragement to you is just continue, continue to run the race. Continue to persevere because God wants to do a miracle in all of your lives. Just to share this in closing, this is how you receive a miracle. Now let me say this. As honest as you know I can be, I would not have them share these stories unless I believe they were honest. And I'm not sharing stories that I think are, are even close to fit. These are the most honest stories I can show you. I've seen a lot of people claim miracles. I've been around people who have fake miracles. If there's anybody who hates fake televangelism, it's myself, okay? Because this is my own kind. These are people who embarrass me and make us all look bad. When I'm telling you stories from reliable sources, that video, I thought you were there, but you had seen the video as well as I did. The students were there. I talked to them. They verified it. Everybody was there. The young boys armed and sealed. I've sat in services where foretelling was done, where nobody knew anybody in the, from the preacher, didn't know anybody in the service. I brought him in there. He did not speak to anybody. He did not know anybody in the audience. While he was speaking, he stopped and he spoke to a young lady. He said, this is what you're doing. This is what you've become. This girl has been serving the Lord now for almost five years in Bible college and is happily married because God said things about her life that nobody knew. My friends, I can put to show you the videos that I myself posted. In, in, on YouTube. My video is on YouTube and I can show it to you if you want to see it later of us exercising demons out of people in India who had curses on their life. We saw this with our own eyes. The man started to scream in the middle of the service. He started to shake convulsively. Many men had to hold him down. It's on YouTube. I put the video up there to show a generation who doesn't believe in God anymore. My friends, I've seen these miracles with my own eyes. And you can receive miracles too. And it doesn't have to be weird. We're not weird. We are rational people just like you. But we know that supernatural powers can happen. And if somebody says to me, well, then Joe, explain why this miracle didn't happen. I don't have to explain why it doesn't happen. Remember, my source goes back to God. It goes back to God. Let him explain why somebody died and another one lived. Let him explain all of that. But the Bible says we are to ask him for miracles. And when Jesus walked around, it was always done. So I trust Jesus, and I still believe he can do miracles. And let me just ask you a question. If there's a dozen of us here, and one of us got a miracle, was it worth praying for the twelve? Was it? Was it worth praying for twelve if one of us got a miracle? If that was your child's arm today, or if you needed God to speak about your future. My wife has had dreams that were 20-20, clear vision about people's lives. And when we told it to them, they said, I've never told anybody in my whole life that my wife had that dream about somebody. My friends, would it, was it worth it for that one person? Yes, I've had dreams that I'm flying and that I'm an eagle, but is it worth it when God speaks to us through our dreams to share those with other people? Absolutely. God can move. Here's the way that he does it. Believe that he exists. you got to believe in God, my friends. That's the thing he won't do for you. I cannot force you to believe. You have to decide that on your own. Remember those things we talked about that we value so much? We value our identity. We value our freedom. And we value our relationship. That is the God of the Bible. He doesn't force people to believe in Him. 
People wanted to kill him even while he was doing miracles, friends. He wasn't the Hare Krishna guru with flowers around him, sitting Indian style and being paraded down the streets. Even after he did miracles, people still hated him because of what he taught. He didn't bother them because he taught about a kingdom that was going to come in his name. Remember, Jesus said, it's my kingdom, not just my father's. So you've got to believe in God. The second thing is, you've got to believe that he rewards those who seek him. You see, even if today you don't see a miracle, do you still believe he'll reward the effort? Do you believe he'll reward you for seeking? I believe that, my friends. I've been a Christian now for 16 years. For about five years of my life, from 11 to 18, I need to do better math. About seven years of my life, I was an unbeliever, okay? But for five of those years, really from 13 to 18, I hated God. I hated going to church. I mocked God, okay? But when I came to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ exercised demons out of me at my mother's living room. I had did drugs. I had saw evil spirits in the mirror. And when my father prayed, I felt them leave me. And that night I saw dreams about them leaving me. And I saw the glory of God. And you would say, well, you could have just made that up. It's been 16 years, my friends. And a master's degree later, two children serving God all over the world, traveled to many nations. And I'm telling you, I believe that with the core of my and because he rewards us. He rewarded me that day for putting a little bit of faith in him. And then to have faith in Jesus himself personally, because a lot of you might say, well, this can work for any other religions. And yes, there are stories that other religions have. But guess what, my friends? Can I just tell you this? Our religion is better than their religion. You might say, that's kind of mean. No, it's true. They'll tell you themselves. Come to my church. Go get on the internet. I'll introduce you to people who used to be Muslims that found Jesus through visions. It's the most remarkable thing right now. It's called Mosque and Miracles. It's a book that, that documents that right now Islam is growing, uh, that Christianity is growing among Islamic nations. Like Nigeria was an entire Islamic nation because many of them are seeing visions of Jesus Christ. Do you know where the fastest growing Christian faith is right now? In China. China, which has been communist for almost 70 years. Christianity is going faster there because they've been taught naturalism from birth and they're seeing God do miracles. We have videos of the underground church in China led by young adults like us here seeing miracles with the young people and the older people on the streets and they're converting. How many are there right now? 30 million people in China are serving God, most of it through miracles. Muslims are coming to Christ through miracles. So it's Jesus, my friends. It's Jesus. That's why the... the see, when, see the, the Bible talks about even back then exorcisms could happen, but Jesus did it in his name. And my friends, it's something when you see when I went to India and the people who have curses and worship these deities and these demonic spirits, and they're very much into that. When we say Jesus, those spirits leave. The spirits leave in Jesus' name. Are you tracking with me? His name is greater than the other names. Pray and ask for your miracle. So believe in God. Believe that he'll reward you. Believe specifically in Jesus because he's the way to God. And then you've got to ask. That's what prayer is. I'm asking. I mean, if you don't want to ask tonight, we can't force you. If you just wanted to make this a happy dozen and we go home, you heard a good lecture, thank you. I'm going to have another lecture tomorrow night. I'm going to do it again. I'm fine. I'm, I'm going to keep seeking God. It's up to you whether or not you do it. You're not going to make or break me tonight. Please don't think that we're here to build ourselves up as a, you know, uh, as like a person, like, you know, all oh, these guys, you know, they need us. No. If three people came, if one person came, we still believe God. We're still going to do miracles. Our goal is to start 50 of these churches, and we'll do it until Jesus comes back. That's not the question. The question is, are you going to receive a miracle? That's the question, my friend. The last thing is, 
receive your miracle by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father is God in general. That's how we refer to our Father as God. Jesus is the Son. And it's the Holy Spirit. So very simply, in closing, this is this how it works. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you don't have faith, you can't please God. It starts with faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Couldn't have said it any simpler myself. Right there's the Bible. And then right here, I tell you the truth. Jesus talking. Whoever has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus even promised us that we should do this in his name. And that greater things could happen. And he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. And the previous verses that, that come before that is the verses that have to do with obeying God. So I'm not asking him for a golden pony or a, a well, a wishing well today. I'm asking him for things according to his will. And God does want us to be healed. Amen. Would you all stand up with us, please, today? Let's just all stand up together. I'm going to put on a song today that just talks about Jesus being our healer. And then we're going to close out in prayer. And those that have to go, I appreciate your time and, and being patient with us today. But those who want to stay and receive excuse me, those who want to stay and receive prayer, we're going to ask you to do that because we're going to believe God for miracles. That's what I came here for. I don't care if all this stuff breaks down. I want one thing today. If it's just for Rudy, if it's just my new friend here, somebody can say I receive a miracle. If God did it on a volleyball court, why wouldn't he do it in the place that we call the church today and dedicated our whole time to him today? You gave two hours to Jesus, almost two hours right now. Why wouldn't he honor you seeking after him? Why wouldn't God honor us? He's not playing a game with us. He doesn't want us to have uh, some type of uh, abusive stepfather relation. He's a father. The Bible says that if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more so does God know how to give good gifts to us? So I'm just going to begin to pray and dismiss. And those that need today a miracle, we're going to ask that you would believe God with us for a miracle. God, today we, uh, God, we, we ask you, Lord, to do what only you can do, God. To do miracles, Jesus. God, I believe, Lord, that you're able to do above and beyond even what I can ask or imagine. Because, God, you're greater than me. You're greater than what I can think of. You're greater than what my friends can think of today, God. So, God, you're not doing this for me. You're doing it for them. I may limit you. I may not always understand you. But God, you are always good. And I trust in you today. And as we get ready to dismiss, I'm going to ask my altar workers to come. We're not going to make this awkward for you. I'm just going to pray in just a few more moments, but they're going to be up here. And today, the announcements, the offering, we'll just, we'll just leave that for another time. But if you have to go, you can go. If you want to talk to me, I know I've built some relationships. If you really have some questions, you want to put some of these things to the test, I would ask that you would just you know, get a Rice Krispie Treat, drink some coffee, just wait a few minutes, because I want to see who wants a miracle here today first.
Because before we dismiss, I want to make sure that whoever has a miracle feels comfortable, needs a miracle, feels comfortable to come up here so that we can pray. So I'm getting ready to close out. Here we go, Lord. It's about you. We've preached your word. We've shared it. And now, God, I ask you, Lord, to touch the hearts of your people here. That they would have courage to ask you for a miracle. That they wouldn't even feel embarrassed about it, God. That, that if they need one, they would come and ask for one. And Lord, I pray you do more than what we could ever imagine here. Make new stories. Make new stories here. New testimonies. Oh, do you remember that time at Chopin? God did a miracle. Lord, we ask you to bless those that have to go. We pray for this community. We pray for the families here. We love Wicker Park. God, we ask that more will come. And then as we talk next week about you again, that even more will come to learn about you. But more importantly than just the messages, that God will experience you. So bless everyone here today with your presence. Bless them and their family. And now as we make this time of prayer, I pray that we'll receive miracles. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you need a miracle, here's the prayer workers. If you don't, hang out, go get something to eat. We'll be out there in a little bit. And we're just going to do this right now for Jesus. And you just want to watch, I guess you can. But who needs a miracle? Come on. Come from where you are. Let's pray for you today. We promise not to embarrass you. It's up to you if you receive it today. Prayer is the key. Okay, so we're, we're, we're pretty much understanding only one person here and I need a miracle. Alright. God bless you guys. Have a good week, man. We love you.